Well, we're here to help you this holiday, uh, Thanksgiving there, so hope we picked up some tips uh, on Thanksgiving hack there. Uh, real excited, it's a big weekend uh, leading up to, of course, Thanksgiving weekend coming up, and uh, we're doing a little micro-series is what we're doing, just two weeks, we're calling it Thankful about Thanksgiving, and as we were talking about this, looking at the schedule leading up to it, um, you know, the staff, we kind of kicked around, well, what should we do? And I said, two weeks on Thanksgiving is kind of strange, and they're like, hey, but Aren't you having a birthday somewhere in there? Why don't you share some pearls of wisdom? So I do have a significant birthday coming up on Tuesday. I'll be 50, and I know, I know, I know. You can't believe it, can you? I don't look a day over 49, and uh, and 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 so what I've done. Maybe uh, if you're a fan of ESPN, you might have seen the shows 30 for 30. I'm going to share five for 50, okay? Five lessons I'm thankful for that I've learned uh, in, in 50 years. And it was kind of tough to boil it down uh, and, and really just putting this message together. First of all, I just wanted to say I don't want this to sound like some sort of keynote uh, speaker at a graduation or something like that. Uh, we're not going to, you know, stoop to lows of like showing baby pictures or, or anything like that. You don't have to worry about that at all. Uh, and what? Oh, but let's get that off. Let's get that off just a minute there. Just yeah, take that off. Well, no, let's put that back on. That was a long time ago. Sun's out, guns out. How about that? That was about two right there. Love the straight across cut there. That was when I lived down in Georgia. But um, so I want to share with you five things that I've learned in 50 years uh, that, that have really helped me personally. I, I hope they help you too. So maybe coaching you up. Maybe I'm ahead of you in terms of the age thing. Uh, and, and this is going to help you as well. And these are lessons that I've learned that really... Um, uh, let, me, let me put it this way, I'm, I'm still learning these, I'm still walking these out because uh, I've got a lot of living left to do and I think these are just real important and of course they're all based uh, on God's word, the scripture, I don't think they'd really be very helpful if they weren't. So if you have your Valley app, go ahead and open that up, I think you, you may want to look back on these or parents, you may want to look back on them and say, hey kids, let me give you a little pearl of wisdom that's going to help you out. Uh, here's the first one, my dad used to always say this when I was growing up and I, I hear his voice to this day and then when I call him I talk to him on the phone he generally if I make a certain statement a certain way he'll he'll come back with this don't wish your life away don't wish your life away I, I think so much of our lives we spend you know it's almost Christmas the holidays are upon us right and, and it's so easy you start thinking about this and then next thing you know uh, I can't wait till summer or in summer I can't wait till Christmas or I can't wait till vacation. Or if you're in school, I can't wait till I'm a senior. I can't wait till I graduate. I can't wait till I can't wait till I can't wait to. And you end up wishing your life away. Instead, I think God wants us to live in the present moment. That we're fully present in the present. That doesn't mean we don't have dreams. We don't have goals. We don't have some, some uh, ambition. But, but so many times, I think it's really, really easy that we're not present and we wish we were somewhere else. Let me give you an example of this. So when I became the pastor of the church, the, the senior pastor, I was 24 years old. And I was always the youngest guy in the room. Whenever I'd go to a pastor's meeting or conference, you know, they, they were like, oh, you're the youth pastor. And I was like, no, I'm the senior pastor. And, and I always wished that I was much older, like I was like 50. And now I was like, oh, those 20s weren't so bad after all, you know? So, so don't wish your life away. Be fully present. In Psalm 90, verse 10, uh, and then in verse 12, it says, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. 
yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and they fly away. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That we'll number our days, that we realize every one of us has limited time. We don't have unlimited time. Every one of us has a limited amount of time. And instead of wishing our lives away, what am I doing today with the time that God has given me? What are you doing today with the time that God has given you? And so the first big lesson that, that I just find myself that I've learned over the years and I'm still learning and walking out is don't wish your life away. Now, especially for you know, our Poughkeepsie folks that are, that are joining us uh, at Regal Theater on Sunday and uh, our folks online as well. Uh, this is a big weekend, uh, weekend before Thanksgiving. My, my, my wife Susie and I, our two daughters are coming, our two daughters are coming home from college uh, for a week and one of them is bringing a boy. And this is a new season for us. We already met this uh, Brooks boyfriend and a uh, uh, really super guy, but it's a new season for us. And, and even last Christmas, last Thanksgiving, Susie and I kind of commented to each other like, we wonder if this is the last one where it's just us. And not only that, Susie's family's coming up from Lynchburg as well. Uh, and we have some other friends that are joining us. So it's going to be like 20 plus people in our house for the better part of, uh, well, 15 for the better part of a week. And, and you know what? I, I've just tried so hard just to like, I just want to savor this moment. I just want to live in the present. Not go wish I was somewhere back in the past. Not wish I'm somewhere a year, two years, five years, ten years in the future. But just not to wish my life away, but to live in this moment of like the first college boyfriend coming home. And I am cleaning my shotgun and uh, I'll be doing it all week long right in front of him, that's for sure. So second lesson is this, refuse to be outworked. I, I am so thankful that my parents gave me a really good work ethic. And my dad used to always say, son, you've got to refuse to be outworked. More people, you're going to find people that are more talented than you, they're more gifted than you, and they're more intelligent than you. And I was like, thanks a lot, dad. Uh, but, but, he, but he said, but refuse to let anyone work harder than you. Refuse to let anyone work harder than you. When I was coaching high school football, uh, the coach that I coached with for nine years, Brian Walsh used to put it this way, and I love this, it takes no talent to hustle. It takes zero talent to work hard. It doesn't matter what your back, uh, background was, your upbringing, if you were a have or a have not, it takes no talent to hustle. Working hard has nothing to do with economics. It has everything to do with heart. Don't let anyone outwork you. And uh, my brother Scott uh, just re retired from Coca-Cola as vice president of communications for Coca-Cola North America. And one of the, the honors that he had over the years was he actually spoke at University of Georgia graduation of, of their school of communications. And it, the, the whole premise of his keynote speech was he talked about something that my mom and dad really imparted to us, and that was this, shine your own shoes, iron your own shirt. Shine your own shoes, iron your own shirt. I've never paid for anyone to shine my shoes. I never will, because my father taught me how to shine my shoes. 
And he was like, son, there's some things you just need to do yourself. Same thing with iron your own shirt. Now I do sometimes send them out to get pressed, you know, but, but I do all the ironing, most all the ironing in my house. I love to iron. And, and my wife hates to iron. She's like, honey, could you please? I'm like, sure. I just love seeing those wrinkles just get really, really smooth. I know I've got issues. I'm 50, but I got some time to keep working on them. But shine your own shoes. In fact, my brother Scott tells the story that he was traveling with an executive vice president when he was just at entry level in Coca-Cola. And uh, he got, about six months later, this executive vice president actually put him in a major promotion. Years later, they're talking about it over dinner with some other people, corporate people. And, and he, said, uh, he said, Scott, tell the story about why I gave you that promotion. And Scott was like, well, because I had my you know, master's degree from the University of Georgia, all this stuff. And, all. And, and Mr. Leonard goes, that's not why I gave you that promotion. He said, because I remember the first time we ever were traveling together that I went to get my shoes shined. And you said, no, sir, I'll shine my own shoes. And he said, I knew there was something about your work ethic that need to be promoted. How about that? Shine your own shoes. Iron your own shirt. You're never above anything, doing anything. And so refuse to be outworked. It's amazing the book of Proverbs in, in the Old Testament, a book of wisdom, how much it talks about this idea, this contrast between the wise and the foolish or, or, or the wise and the, the lazy. And look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 13 through 16. It says, the lazy person claims there's a lion on the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. And what happens? It stays in bed, does nothing. Something bad's going to happen, so I'm going to do nothing. As a door swings back and forth on its hinges, so a lazy person turns over in bed. Just can't get out of bed no more. Lazy people take food in their hand, but don't even lift it to their mouth. It's showing, what is it showing? Apathy. Apathy. Instead of the, I'll, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm going to work hard. Total apathy. The Bible goes on and it says, lazy people consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. See, there's an arrogance in laziness. That's what the Bible says. There's an arrogance. There's a humility in working hard. And working hard, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make this happen. There was a time in our life, I'm glad this is not the time right now, but there was a time in our life when our church was very small, and, and uh, uh, what they were paying me was all that they could, and it wasn't enough. And so I used to travel a lot teaching at Christian Life School of Theology just to make some extra money to pay the bills. I'm glad I don't have to do that any longer. But, but it was just like, this is what I have to do. I hate traveling. When my wife, she smells, you know, airplane fuel at the airport and like it's intoxicating to her. For me, it like just drains the energy. I, I hate traveling. I, I really do. But it's what I had to do. Don't let anyone outwork you. And not only on your job, parents, don't let anyone outwork you in being a great mom or a great dad. Give it your all, whatever you do. Give it 100%. 100%. In your marriage, don't, don't, don't let anyone outwork you. Don't, don't let someone have a better marriage than you have. You put in the effort. You invest the time. You, you focus on your spouse. And so it's not just in a career. It's in every area of our life. Put in the effort. 
maximum effort. Refuse to be outworked. Here's the third lesson that I've learned in 50 years. Choose your family. I know that sounds kind of funny, but just wait till we look at the scripture. Choose your family. Every one of us gets to choose our family. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22 puts it this way. He who finds a wife, uh, he who finds, I'm sorry, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Hallelujah. I had to put that in this series, uh, in this message, because Monday, this is a huge week, Monday is actually 30 years, 30 years since Susie and my first date. We've been a couple together for 30 years. 30 years ago, I threw my last Hail Mary pass of my quarterback career, and I asked this Susie Warner, can I take you out for ice cream? And she said yes, and then I had to borrow money from my older brother uh, to pay for it. And we've been together ever since, 30 years. And, and I love this verse, he who finds a wife finds what is good, and listen, husbands, and receives favor from the Lord. Receives favor. God's favor is on you, men. If you're married, God's favor is upon you. That's what the scripture says. One who is unreliable, now it talks about friendship. One who is, has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer, to, closer than a brother. What is that talking about? Well, I think one of the primary applications of that verse right there, a friend that sticks closer to the brother, I think it's talking about the presence of God. I think it's talking about the Holy Spirit, that, that he's always with us. He sticks closer than a brother. And, and yet we have to make those choices. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says it this way, do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. I've seen this in 50 years. I've seen people that were just on the right track. They're growing in their relationship with God. But because of the friends that they chose to hang out with, their life went off the rails. I've heard it put this way before. Show me who your friends are and the books you read, and I'll show you who you'll be in 10 years. Show me who your friends are and the books that you read, and I'll show you who you'll be in 10 years. Don't be misled. In fact, one translation of this, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, says, God is not mocked. Don't be deceived. We deceive ourselves into thinking, I hang out with this crowd, I won't become like them. Not if they have bad character. We will become like them. Don't be deceived. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And, and this word corrupts, I had the guys, uh, the tech guys highlight that. It's an interesting word uh, in the New Testament which is written in Greek, that this word in Greek literally means bad company destroys good character, ruins good character, wastes good character, spoils good character. That's what bad company does. See, you can't really choose who you work with. Somebody else hires them if, if you're in that setting. You, know, you can't really choose necessarily who your neighbor is, but you choose who you go with out with afterwards. You choose who you hang out with on your own. And so I just encourage you, maybe from a middle-aged man, this is the truth of Scripture. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins, spoils, destroys, wastes, corrupts good character. 
got to choose your family. You've got to choose your friends. Choose your friends. Choose them wisely. It's amazing how much impact they'll have on your future. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. I love this verse. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. I had the tech guys highlight that, too, because it's interesting, that little word for there in translations and, and things like that. It could mean for. Hebrew doesn't even have that exact of a meaning. Uh, in Proverbs, it was written in Hebrew. It can also mean this, and it changes entirely the meaning of this verse. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born in a time of adversity. A brother is born in a time of adversity. I, I, I'm blessed, and, and maybe you can relate to this as well. There have been some difficult times I've walked through in my life, and you know what? I have some friends around me, and in that time of need, you know what? They cross that line from friend to family. Brothers. They're not just, they're not just friends. Friends love at all times, but a brother is born in adversity. In times of adversity, when the chips are down and you just don't know what you're going to do. And that friend says, I'm with you no matter what. We're going to get through this together. I'm not going to let you go. I remember one time intensely in the 90s when I was ready to throw in the towel as pastor of this church. Things God had put into my heart changes I was making in the church and there was all kinds of people that were really angry and upset with me and I was just going down for the count in a deep dark place and I remember you know Susie's like what can I do to help I'm like there's nothing that you can do and then wise wife that I have she made one phone call to one of my friends in the church within 30 minutes the doorbell rang she said, I think that's for you. I said, how do you know? She goes, it's for you. Go ahead and answer it. And I walked up and I opened the door and there are 10 people on my front steps. 10 people from the church and they said, we're not going to let you quit. We're not going to let you do this. We're with you and if it's just us, we'll start all over again and we'll start a brand new church. And that's what got me through it. And every one of those, we call them legacy friends today. I'll be celebrating my birthday with them legacy friends for, for almost 20 years now. They're not friends. They're family. They're family because when, when the chips were down, when I wasn't the most popular person in the church or anything like that, they were like, we're with you no matter what. Friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for a time of adversity in times of adversity. Choose your family. We don't get to choose who our parents are. We don't get to choose who our siblings are. But there are those relationships that we have that are formed over time when friends really become family. I think there's another dimension to this as well about this idea of choosing your family. Because we have to make that choice to choose to be in God's family. Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 through 7 puts it this way. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, born of Mary, under the Jewish law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, slaves to sin, so that he could adopt us as his very own 
children. That's what Jesus did by, by coming and living his life, sinless life, and sacrificing, laying his life down for you and for me, and rising from the dead so that we could be adopted by God to be his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And the Bible goes on and it says, prompting us to call out Abba, Father, or Daddy, God. Now you are no longer slaves, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. This is one of the great uh, doctrines of the Bible, the doctrine of adoption. That God, through his son, Jesus Christ, he adopted you into his family. And he adopted me into his family. And how do we become a part of his family? It's when we receive his son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior and our Lord. Common misnomer, common misunderstanding that people have, and that's we're all God's children. There's only one problem with that. The entire Bible says the opposite. The entire Bible says the opposite. Humanity is not God's children. God's family are those who receive his son, Jesus Christ, and he adopts them into his family. And that's what this is talking about. We're no longer slaves, but God's own child. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. God sent his son at the right time. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman. And we're no longer slaves, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Choose your family. Who's your family? Is your family God's family? And if that's the case, we've received Jesus Christ as our savior. He's our, he's our older brother. And you know what? It changes all of the dynamics of every one of our relationships for the good. Because I'm, I've, cho I've received Jesus as my Savior and I'm in God's family, what does that mean? That means I should be a better husband than someone that doesn't know Christ. That means I should be a better father than someone who doesn't know Christ. That, that means I should love people unconditionally and I should forgive just as God through Jesus Christ forgave me. And every time that we do those things, guess what? We're showing our family resemblance of our heavenly father who adopted us and calls us his children. So choose your family. Here's the fourth lesson that I've learned. Temptation is a test. Temptation is a test. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin when we give in to temptation. And it's amazing the clarity that the Bible gives us about the subject of temptation. Let's look at it right now and this understand that temptation is really a test. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Time out, let's talk. Did you realize every time you're tempting, there's a blessing in it? Every time you're tempted, there's a blessing. God is giving an opportunity for a blessing every time you and I ever face temptation. Every time we ever face selfishness and we want to do our own thing or, or, or we want to just say what we're thinking or, or just not get the pound of flesh, there's a blessing built in every single time we resist that temptation. 
The Bible says the temptation, there's a blessing. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Watch. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say that God is tempting you. God's not the one that tempts us. Watch where temptation comes from. It goes on and it says, God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. This is what temptation's all about. It's a test. Temptation comes from our own desires. Think about that for just a minute. The reason that you and I are tempted is because it's inside of us. Temptation literally just draws out what's in the human heart. That's what temptation is. It's a test. It's a test to show us what's truly in our hearts. It's our own desires. In other words, it's not something that, ought, that hits us from outside. It's something that's inside that starts bubbling up to the surface. That's what temptation is. And it's a test. Am I going to give in to that desire or am I going to walk in God's power by his Holy Spirit and resist the temptation? Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. What a picture this is. Drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. See, it's inside of us first, the desires. And then we choose to, I'm not going to resist it. I'm not going to receive God's grace in this moment. I, I, I'm not going to pass the test. I'm going to fail the test. Temptation is a pass-fail test. You don't get graded on a curve. I don't get graded on a curve. It's a test. And so it says, these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Temptation is a test. And so with every form, there's so much that, that the Bible says about temptation. God always allows, he provides a way of escape every time we're tempted. And when we do escape and when we do resist temptation, guess what? He says, look at that. I'm going to bless you because of that. I'm going to bless you because you passed the test. You passed the temptation. You chose to walk in my way instead of giving into those desires that are in your heart. And you know what? Every time we do that, that temptation doesn't have near as much hold on us and lure to us any longer. We're always going to be tempted because as long as we're in this flesh and blood, there's going to be temptation. But realize this, the next time that you're tempted, it's a test. Pass or fail. Pass or fail. It's a test. And just by the mere fact I'm being tempted by this thing or, or this situation, whatever it is, it means it's inside of me. God, do something about that. I don't want this to be tempting to me. I don't want this to draw me in this direction. Not my will, Lord. Your will be done. Temptation is a test. Lesson one, don't wish your life away. Lesson two, refuse to be outworked. Lesson three, choose your family. Lesson four, temptation is test. And here's the fifth one. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. No matter what happens, keep your faith in God. Apostle Paul, when he was in prison and he was waiting, really facing his ultimate execution, he wrote a letter. He wrote a lot of letters. They're called the prison epistles in the New Testament. One of the last ones that he wrote that we have recorded anyway, preserved for us, is 
2 Timothy. He wrote to a spiritual son, a, a young pastor. Most scholars believe he was about 30 years old. It was kind of like, this, this was his farewell address to Timothy. And I just love to, you, you hear the heart of the man as God's speaking through Paul. And he's literally writing the words of scripture, not just to Timothy, but to you and to me as well. And listen to what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning verse 3. He says, Timothy, I thank God for you. I'm thankful for you. I'm full of thanks because of you. The God I serve with clear conscience, watch this now, just as my ancestors did. Paul, Paul says, I'm, I'm following in a long line of those who serve God in my family tree. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I'll be filled with joy when we're together again. And then he goes on and he says, I remember your genuine faith. For your share, for, for you share the faith that first, watch this now, filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice why don't people name their kids these names any longer when's the last time you know oh sweet baby Eunice you look so why don't they do that anymore Eunice you know uh, it reminds me I know I'm dating myself but Carol Burnett you know uh, they used to have that well some, some of you got it anyway Eunice Anyway, uh, and, I, and he says, you filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. What did Paul understand? Timothy, and it's pretty interesting, he doesn't mention his dad. He doesn't mention his grandpa. He says it was grandma. And it was your mom. And they kept the faith, and now you're in the faith as well. Don't, don't, don't sell short, grandma, grandpa, mom and dad, the importance of passing on your faith to your kids and your grandkids. Here comes Timothy, third generation. He says, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. That that's when he set him in as the pastor over Ephesus. He laid his hands on him. And, and that's one of the ways the Bible talks about the impartation of spiritual gifts is through the laying on of hands. And that's what Paul's referring to here. And he goes on and he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Real clear, fear is a spirit. It's a spirit and it doesn't come from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity but a power of love and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. What is Paul saying here? Keep the faith. Keep the faith. It doesn't matter how difficult life gets. It doesn't matter the, the trials, the, the heartache, the hardship, the crisis that you, face, that you ever face. Keep the faith. Don't quit. Don't quit. 
no matter what you do, Timothy. I heard uh, recently, pastor of Hillsong Church in New York City, he put it this way, I believe we need less Christians that are consumed with the big spectacular and more Christians that are prepared to do the super faithful. Just be faithful. Don't quit. Just keep going, no matter what. I didn't realize it at the time. Like I said, 50 years old, I'm getting a little melancholy, I guess. But back in high school, when I played football, my coach had a nickname for me. I didn't realize he was probably, didn't even know it, but he was a prophet. I was wishbone quarterback, and what that meant, if you don't know anything about football back then, it meant I ran with the ball as much as I passed the ball, and I got hit on every single play. After a football game Sunday, <laughs> my body was black and blue. I was just one bruise, hit on every play. My head coach gave me a nickname, and it was Timex. It used to be Timex watch commercials. They'd have like an elephant crush the watch, and then they'd pick it up and they'd go, hold up the microphone, and they'd say, Timex takes a licking and keeps on ticking. And so he used to, I would hear from the sideline, get up, Timex, get up. I'd be laying on the ground. I didn't even know where I was, couldn't even see. My eyes were wide open. You, you know, everything's black, and I'd hear, get up, Timex, get up. And I'd stand on my feet, get back in the huddle, call another play. That's one of the best nicknames I've ever had in my life. Because that's what I want to be for Jesus. And that's what I think God wants for every one of us. Takes a licking, but keeps on ticking. Keep the faith. Don't give up. Be faithful. Day after day after day, after day, after day. I've said to Susie before, we talked about, you know, how we want to go someday, and it's no time soon. We tell our kids, we just want to be lying in bed one night holding hands, and they just wake us up the next morning, we're both gone. That was long before that notebook movie came out. We made that up. We made that up ourselves. But you know how I really want to go meet Jesus? I hope one day he takes me right where I stand right now. Doing what he made me and created me to do. Being faithful right to the very end. Keep the faith. See, I believe this with everything in me. The inheritance we receive is not as important as the legacy that we leave. That's what Paul was talking to Timothy about. Paul said, your grandmother had faith in God. Your mother had faith in God. Now, Timothy, you keep the faith. It's your turn. And I want to leave a rich heritage like Timothy received, that inheritance from his grandmother and from his mother. I want to leave that type of legacy those who come behind me. And I believe you do too. And that's what we've been talking about. This is actually five weeks in our legacy series. It's not for us. 
leaving a legacy for others. That our lives would actually outlive us. And so this is a really, this is a really epic weekend for us as a Valley family. You know, it's not a surprise we've been talking about it. This is what we call commitment weekend. We're asking the whole church family to, to take that step together, that generosity ladder that we've been looking at, and saying this is what we're going to do to leave a legacy. This is, we're going to take this step of generosity together to fulfill the dream that God's put into our hearts. And so right now you'll see on, your, on every chair here we have a commitment card, and if we could just put that up on the screen and let me just walk you through it. I mentioned last week that the leadership of the church has already made an advanced commitment. Actually, it just keeps ticking up, keeps on rising, keeps on rising. It's up to $257,000 right now toward that $750,000 goal that we have. $257,000 committed by 37 families in the church. And so now, once again, we're asking everyone, even the leaders that have already done it, I have mine filled out right here, and Susie and I are going to put that in in just a minute that every one of us would take that step right here, stepping up from first-time giver, just take one step to occasional giver, from occasional giver to intentional giver, taking a step from an intentional giver, one step to tither, if that's where you find yourself and identify yourself, or from tither to bold giver. And so we want to give you an opportunity right now, and we're asking for 100% participation to just fill out this commitment card right now, and in just a moment, we're going to bring these forward together as an act of worship really about leaving a legacy for those who come behind us maybe you're a first time guest with us and, and you haven't been with us as we've been talking about praying about this for over a month now uh, maybe you're a first time guest and I encourage you right on this still praying fill it out and say still praying if you're a first time guest but, but if you've been praying about it as I've invited you to for over a month now, it's time for us to make these commitments right now. In fact, right now we're working on it. We have a tentative closing date we're working on for November 30th for the property on, May, on uh, Manchester Road there in Poughkeepsie for our permanent site. We don't need the finances in order to close. We don't need it to make the payment, but to renovate it, to make it into a church that we could really use and all. That's what part of this is. And so... All that information was in these brochures that you've received for the last few weeks. It's also online uh, on our website, all, all the different legacy lanes that we've been talking about. And so what I want to do right now is just give you time. If you need a pen, you can raise your hand. And we have some brand new Valley pens that came in uh, today, literally. Uh, and, and we want to give you one of those. You can fill out this, this uh, uh, commitment card. And, and then we're going to have a song played while you take time just to fill that out. And then I'm going to let you know when, and we're going to all, every one of us together, come forward, and we're going to place our commitment cards in these boxes on the stage right here to my right and left. We'll come up these center aisles if, and loop back around to our seats, and then I'm going to pray. And this is how we're going to do it in every one of our services this weekend. It's the only time we're going to do this. Uh, it's just this weekend. Uh, for those of you in Poughkeepsie, campus pastor is going to give you the information and, and lead you in this uh, in, in just a minute. If you're online, uh, on, on Valley Online, you can check our website, the button there, and click on that. And all that information is right there, and you can make your commitment online as well. This is the only time we're going to do this uh, this weekend, and, and we're not going to do it again after that. And, and so uh, right now, I just want to close in prayer and then give a moment about five minutes while we play this next song uh, for us to fill out this commitment card 
and then I'll lead you in just bringing these forward, making this commitment and the act of worship to God. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. Thank you, Lord, that I'm learning a lot of lessons and I'm still in school learning a lot more. Lord, I thank you for this church family. My heart is full of thanks. I feel so honored and privileged to lead this church family. And Father, I pray right now for your grace for each and every one of us, Lord, that's been praying, that's been seeking you, that's been listening to what you would say to us. Lord, as we take that just one step, each of us just taking one step and growing in generosity and this legacy initiative and, and to really fund these four lanes that we've talked about over the last few weeks. Lord, I just pray for your grace right now. And Lord, that you would just bless and you would multiply, Lord, what we're committing to give, Lord, and that you would be worshiped and honored through our giving and our generosity right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.